Welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Sarah McAvee. She is the executive director of Stand in the Gap Foundation. She is the wife of a political prisoner and the director of public relations for The Real J6. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me on and giving us this platform. Thank you. So let's talk... I, I don't, I'm sure a lot of my audience is pretty familiar, but maybe you can give, for those who aren't, a little overview of your story, what happened. Yeah, yeah, so actually on the 17th of August, it marked two years when the FBI came and raided our house for January 6th. Um, my husband was law enforcement officer for seven years on January 6th, and all the video evidence that they've used to charge him with exonerates him, but they won't allow the audio to be played. And so what we've done is we've had the audio pulled out and put on captions just in case preparing for trial. Um, it's just a crazy situation. You don't ever think that it's going to happen to you or to the American people. But we've been in this two years now, and it's been a horrific mess. But there have been really good things that have come of this, such as the Real J6 and Stand in the Gap. But every day brings new challenges. Um, sure. You know, I get up in the morning, and I'm like, Lord, just give me the strength to get through today. Because who knows what it's going to bring? Who knows what, you know, tomorrow looks like or the next week? We were actually preparing to go to trial September 25th of this year, but as of this week, it sounds like it's going to be pushed back again to next year. Next year? Next year. Do you have any idea of when next year? And they said January, but it depends on the judge's schedule and the prosecution's schedule, our attorney's schedule. There's so much that goes into it. This will be the third time it's been pushed. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't even imagine. Like, I, I, I feel so much for you and your whole family you. and for, for all of the political prisoners and their family. I, I was there, and I think I was pretty naive. I wasn't at the Capitol. We were right. just talking about my whole experience. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think I was a little bit naive, like I think many Americans yeah. were. You know, I just thought this would be a historic moment. I wanted to do something that, you know, could make a difference and— uh, I believe there's strength in numbers, and I wanted to show the media was gaslighting us that, you know, uh, nobody was supporting Trump and that, you know, nobody really believes there were any uh, fraud in the election or right. uh, that nobody was questioning things. And I wanted to be a part of something that proved that, no, we the people have lots of questions and we deserve answers. And, uh, yeah, I just didn't—it never really dawned on me that something could go wrong or that if it could go wrong, it would happen, you know, to me or to right. us or to anybody I loved and cared about. Right. Um, which I think was very naive. I'm kind of glad that I, you know, I went and I had that experience. But could you tell me a little bit about what that what that day was like for you? I wasn't there that day. You weren't there. Yeah. I, I wasn't there, but um, I watched it all unfold right. on yeah. TV. You know, the only reason my husband was able to go was because he was in a car accident nine days prior. And so um, that that's a really big question of, okay, God, why did you save him from this car accident? That was should have been a fatal car accident yeah. just for nine days later for his life to drastically change. And then when they came and got him in August, you know, it's like, okay, so you saved him from this for him to sit in a jail cell for two years. Or longer, right? Because we don't know what, yeah. how much longer this is going to go on. But, you know, from from what he has said, he said he's never experienced something like that before. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just people were praying and dancing and having a good time. He had never been to a Trump rally before. Wow. Yeah. And so this was his first time. And so he went to go hear the president speak for what we, you know, weren't sure was going to be his last time. Right. And he just has never seen so many people there um, and in one place and there to support. Right. And it was just an incredible experience until it wasn't. 
you know, and then it seemed like everything had turned in the afternoon and he was at the Capitol, never went inside, Mm -hmm. but was up at the Lower West Terrace Tunnel and saw the police do things that he says, this is not what we were trained to do, you know? Right. And so I've always said, whether it happened at the Capitol on January 6th or whether it happened in a Chick-fil-A parking lot or wherever it would have been, he would have done the same thing, right? Right. Because you don't, as any person that has integrity and dignity, you don't allow somebody to sit there and watch somebody get murdered or step in the way of people, elderly and women being beaten. And it's just, you know, those police officers, they don't represent us. And I always say they need to turn their badges in because they don't, They, they aren't, what they they went against their oath. And I think that's so interesting because they say, in court records, they say my husband went against his oath that day. And it's like, it's quite the contrary, even mm-hmm. though he was off duty that day. That's what they are trained to do is to step in and to stand and not allow this stuff to happen. And he was watching his own people doing it. You yeah. Know? Wow. And what? how do they say he went against his oath? Because he stepped in, so um, it was when all chaos was breaking out. Sure. Everybody was coming out of the tunnel. There were people piling up on each other. And he stood there for a long time, not wanting to get involved, until he saw an officer that was down. And he yells, you have a man down, and they're not doing anything about it. So he goes around the barricade, and he goes to pick up this officer. When he goes to pick up an officer, this other officer comes up and hits him across the ribs and the shoulder with a baton. And he pops up, and he just yells, I'm helping, I'm helping. Mm -hmm. An officer strikes him in the head, busts his head open. And when the officer was lying on the ground, he was kind of lying there like a starfish. So my husband jumped in and he he just literally stuck his foot, his leg, in between the officer's leg to keep him because protesters were trying to drag him into the crowd. And so unfortunately, they succeeded and they fell down the stairs together. And he's over top of him. You can see him in the body camera. He's over top of him, protecting him from the crowd around him. And the reason the crowd is so mad at this officer is because he participated in the Roseanne situation. So they were mad at him. And he's standing kind of like on all fours over top of him, protecting him. They're calling him a traitor. And he's yelling back, no, stop, quit. And the officer says, get off of me. And he said, I'm helping you. And the officer acknowledges, says, I know, I know, help me up. So he rolls him on his side. He gets him back to the line of duty. Roseanne at that point had already been beaten by Lila Morris and was pulled off to the side. He goes and finds her, starts to feel around her um, for her pulse, can't find it, looks in a bag for medical supplies to do mouth to mouth. They move him and, and a few other protesters move her back to the line of duty to get the officers to help. They're just standing there. She's blue. She's not breathing. He goes to start to give her chest compressions when the officers finally pull her away like an animal. And he's standing there. All the crowd disperses at that point. They're yelling at the cops. They're so mad. And he's just standing there like in such disbelief. You can see he's now coming off the adrenaline high. This whole thing lasts maybe 10 minutes. I think it's seven minutes. Um, he's coming off this adrenaline high. He's just standing there. There, as That's I a long said. time to be in that yeah. state. Yeah. And as I said, he was in a car accident. His shoulder was broken. And so all of this was going on as that was happening. So he's grabbing his shoulder and the officer thanks him. Another officer that was in the line of duty thanks him twice. And um, then he says his, his shoulder, he thinks his shoulders broke, which it was. Um, and the officer puts his arm around him and says, I got you, I got you. And that's the end of it. That entire seven minutes has changed his life drastically in the last two years. And it's just sickening that that this is, he watched a cop, you know, I, I can't say for sure if Lila Morris murdered Roseanne, but mm-hmm. she certainly didn't help the situation. You don't beat an, uh, somebody, a woman who is down and unconscious and unarmed. She wasn't even doing anything. And they're just pleading for these officers to help. Wow. And so when, uh, 
uh, forgive me, I don't know the exact timeline yeah. of how, like, when did they arrest him? When did he go to jail? What was the... They came and raided our house and, uh, and apprehended him right. on August 17th. Okay, so there was a little bit after. Yeah. What a... Wow. And what was that timeline in between? I mean, because he's he's injured. He's yeah. just had this traumatic experience. So he goes, and- he goes back to work. He works for Williamson County. He goes back to work after um, he got um, discharged from his physical therapist. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he goes back to work. He actually left the law enforcement field. He was trying to leave it prior to this because the summer of love. You know, he was deployed to that. And he was like, I'm just done. Right. You know, this is not what I got into it for. This isn't, you know, mm-hmm. it's just completely changed, you know. Sure. And so he finally got out, and he actually had a business degree, and so he was working in the accounting field when all of this had happened. But that's, that 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 happened in June, and then they actually found out about us. So he was on the FBI wanted list at the end of January, but it was just a number. Nobody knew who he was. And he they found out about us in May after somebody tipped them off, and um, they started on the hunt for us. And so they went to his different agencies, and then th- so they knew about us for ninety days, mm-hmm. and they didn't. They had a, a, an arrest warrant that was signed at the beginning of August, and they didn't execute on it until the middle of August. And so all of these things, you know, just really didn't make sense. And so mm-hmm. when we were in our first bond hearing in front of the Middle District of Tennessee, um, Nashville judge, that's what the judge said to the prosecution. So you knew about this man for ninety days. You tailed him. You tailed mm-hmm. his wife. You watched everything they did. You surveilled him. I mean, they had pictures out in front of our house with our cars in the driveway so we knew we were home right. you know all these different things and then you you had a, a warrant signed at the beginning of, of August to execute on this you didn't do it until the middle of August you did it when he was going to work like why none of this stuff makes sense if sure. he's such a danger to the community and so the judge said no let him out on bond there's no reason you have mm-hmm. nothing prior to January 6th you have right. nothing after January 6th and then the government appealed it and it went to the Washington DC district where Emmett Sullivan who was the judge who presided over General Flynn's case as well, um, called him a terrorist to his face on record within five minutes of the first hearing and denied his bond repeatedly. Wow. What was your reaction through all that? I, I just, I can't imagine. Um, <laughs> like how, yeah, what was going through your head? What was... I just couldn't believe that this system was so broken, honestly. Yeah. That, like, I knew it was bad, but I didn't realize how broken it was. And yet you have right. evidence that plays in your favor. And in America... You're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, and but now we are proving his innocence. Right. Did you feel like they were making an example of him? Did you feel like they that? absolutely are? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really what it seems like. What do you think it is that they're hoping that they'll achieve by? You know, I don't know, okay. other than to make examples out of these people and fear right. people. You know, you say January 6th, whether it's an event, whatever it might be, people run for the hills. They want nothing to do with it. And so, but they could release these men in the next five minutes. The damage has already been done. Well, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've i heard other stories that somebody's recently telling a story of how there were a bunch of people praying yes. and they came over and like started beating them yes. with a baton, like something on their wrist. And, you know, they were kind of just startled by it and like, you know, swatting them off right. type of a thing. And uh, then they, like, they arrested them on for assault of the police. Yes. Which is so absurd. Can you imagine you're in the middle of prayer and somebody's, like, beating you and then— you get arrested for attacking them? That's what I've always said. You know, one of the charges that he has is after the police officer hit him in the shoulder and across the ribs and after he had his head cracked, cracked open with a baton, he throws his hands up like this. 
He never advances on them. He never moves his feet. He throws his hands up like this and is pleading with them. I'm mm-hmm. helping. I'm helping. Mm-hmm. And they say that's an assault because he threw his hands up to shove the police officer away after he attacked him. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the president of the United States. I don't care if you're a pastor. Yeah. I don't care who you are. If somebody is attacking you, your instinct is to stop them. Of course. That's self-defense. Exactly. That's survival. (laughs) Exactly. And the interesting thing about self-defense or defense of a third party is most of the judges are not allowing that in court. So you're not even allowed to defend yourself or defend a loved one or whatever you see is going on. They will not allow that in for your your defense. Wow. And what what justification is there for that? What do they say? There is no justification. What do they say? you, You know, it's just... They, it's because it's January 6th, right? Everything goes back to that day where they are judged by a day on the calendar rather than their actions that day. And so, you know, they don't allow self-defense, defense of a third party. They don't allow video evidence in that will exonerate you. They don't allow witnesses in there to testify. You know, they allow everything for the government. Mm-hmm. But how can you have a true trial? How can you yeah. defend yourself if they don't allow these things in? I, I mean, I think... It's just, as you said, you don't expect this in America. This right. is, that, that's like a communist country. You know, it was very profound to me when we have family that lives in Germany. And when I told them about this, they were just so shocked. But one of the most profound things that I heard is they said, even if, and they know it's not, but even if it were to be true mm-hmm. about the charges for my husband, about any of these people, sure. they said this would never happen in Europe. And I was like, wait, this is a socialist country telling me. So it was just confirmation that we skipped straight over socialism and went to communism, Marxism, that they are allowed to do this. That's astounding. They said this couldn't happen there? They, it wouldn't. They said even if it was true and, and over there, it would be like six months, slap on the wrist, you'd be moving on. Really? Yes. Did they say why? Why it wouldn't happen? It's just that that's, you know, we don't think it would happen in America either. Right, right. But, you know, it depends on the whole, like, situation. But what they have seen, you know, in regards to their riots and what's going on over there is nothing like this has ever happened. But, you know, I think it's super interesting, too, that it's if you go against the government, right? Yeah. There are still truckers that are locked away in Canada for the, the convoy, and they're mm-hmm. getting the same treatment that our J6ers are. And then in Brazil, it's the same thing. What they had their J8 mm-hmm. is what they call it. They Those people are still locked away as well. And so it's like, if you go against your government, doesn't matter what country you're in, you are going to be made an example out of. Unbelievable. That's, yeah, that's just terrifying. It is. It's really terrifying. So you started this... Uh, the Stand in the Gap? Yes. Yeah, so tell tell me about that. Yeah, so it's a 501c3 nonprofit. Mm-hmm. It actually came from, it started, we started The Real J6. Shane Jenkins has an incredible story. He's a January 6th defendant as well. He went to trial in March and was found guilty on all of all of his charges. And so he'll go to sentencing probably sometime in October, we think. Uh, But he has a super unique story. He was in and out of jail his entire life. In 2016, he um, completely transformed by God. Um, He gave his life to Christ and was just one of those people that doesn't even look the same. You know what I mean? It's just a true transformation. And he got out of uh, prison and turned his life around. He was working with Charm Ministries out of Houston, Texas. Um, That was prison ministry. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, and then he goes to January 6th because, you know, 2020 was the first time he had ever even voted. Um, and he voted for Trump and he, and he knew that night something wasn't right. And of course woke up the next day and everything had happened. And he was like, you know, I, I don't believe in this. And so he went to January 6th and it's just so interesting to see that somebody that completely turned their life around within years finds themselves in this same situation. And, you know, I've talked to his children multiple times. And I say, you have to understand that, you know, maybe before he knew what he was doing had consequences, good or bad. But the people that went to January 6th had no idea that their lives were going to look like this. And so this is just so different and so wrong on so many levels. You know, he was rebuilding relationships in his life, his kids, his family, just to have them ripped away again. And he didn't see his kids for two years. You know, it's just horrific. And so we started the Real J6 just to give a voice to the voiceless because mm-hmm. these these guys were just, you know, locked away, didn't feel like they had a ton of support. And so it basically started as a social media company just to get their voices out where they would have Twitter spaces where they could tell their story, whether it was just what they were before this, what they wanted to do after this, or if they even wanted to talk about what was going on currently in their life. And through that, we noticed there were a lot of needs not being met. There's a lot of different organizations out there that are helping right now, right? Mm -hmm. With defense attorneys, family services, whatever it might be. But long-term, there's nothing. And so he realized because of his past Mm -hmm. that there's nothing really, once you're labeled a criminal, you're labeled a criminal. There's not a lot of programs to rehab you. It's supposed to be Department of Corrections. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to correct the wrong and get these people out to be, um, you know, citizens again. And contribute. And and produce. Yes, exactly. And that's just not what happens. That's why it's just the recidivism rate is just insane in this country. You know, if you look at the stats across the board, we have the highest incarceration rate. And it's just a constant generational thing that Mm -hmm. happens because there's nobody that tells them, hey, listen, you can do good in life. You know, you can get your life back on track. It is. You know, we we should be a world of second chances, you know? And so through that, we, we found that there were a lot of things from January 6th, but this system is broken as a whole. And so we started Stand in the Gap, the nonprofit, to help these guys, not only January 6th, but just Americans that have found themselves in this situation. You know, there are good, bad things that happen to good people, you know, but when you are stuck in this system. people who make mistakes and learn from them. Exactly. But there's no hope for them when they get out. You know, I know in the state of Tennessee, um, when you get out of prison, you're given uh, $50, clothes from the clothes closet, and if they don't fit you, then you get your jumpsuit with a $20 bill, they'll invoice you for it. And if you're not close to home, they'll give you a bus ticket. That's it. That's all you get when you get out. So how are you ever supposed to get your life back on track? You can't, you know? You don't make any money in there. You're only a burden to your family. You know, if they would bring in different types of corporations Mm -hmm. and different types of, you know, let them do labor work. Let them do that stuff. Let them give back to their family or be able to provide while they are away, you know? I mean, we've seen this whole um, visitation thing happen with January 6th where they didn't get to see their loved ones video or in person for two years. You know, how, how are... <clears throat> excuse me, fathers supposed to be involved in their child's lives right. if if it's, you know, a thing that you're you're not allowed to be a part of. Right. You know, they're not, you know, they get a 15-minute phone call a day when they're in prison to the outside world, and that's it. That's all you get. So how are you ever supposed to be a contributing member to society? You, you, right. This system is set up for failure. Yeah. So through Stand in the Gap, there's three different avenues that we do. We do um, 
the immediate need, which is family services. And so through that, you know, if you need a mortgage payment, if you need a car note, you know, we do have the money stored away to help families in that aspect, pay for a child's field trip, whatever it might be. Um, After the guys were granted visitation, we launched Operation Love Wins to help their families get to D.C. to see them. And we funded over 24 families to go see their loved ones um, in the last eight months. Yeah, it's it's really been an incredible program um, through, you know, hotel rewards, um, frequent flyer miles, travel rewards, whatever it might be, and then, of course, monetary donations as well. Um, And then also through family services is appellant lawyers um, because there's a lot of organizations that help with defense attorneys. Mm -hmm. It's a 97% conviction rate right now for these guys. And so why are we paying for these defense attorneys? We need to think long-term and think what is the next step, and that's appeals. And so being able to, you know, if they spent, you know, their whole life savings or what they had on defense attorneys, they don't have money for appeals. So being able to fund the appellant lawyer side of things. And then we're also launching a project for these guys, they've been gone, you know, over two and a half years from their families. And when they get out, there's going to be a lot of support from the communities. But what we want to do is pay for a vacation for them, for Mm -hmm. them to be able to take their kids to Disney World or to the beach or something and be able to have that family time. They can't ever get their time back. So we just want to make sure that we're using it to the extent, the best possible way when they get out. And so that's through family services to just help in all of those aspects of keeping the family together, you know, and then even civil, you know, whether it's family lawsuits or whatever along the way of keeping the fathers involved in their child's lives, you know, and and whatever that might look like for them helping with civil litigation or or whatnot in that aspect. And then reentry is -hmm. another big thing that that's where our heart is right now is helping these guys get back into active members of society. Yeah. And so getting them jobs, we have the Road Home Project, which is helping them get transportation home, a good meal when they get out because we know you know, what they've been fed over the last two years is terrible. But getting them, you know, a phone, a book, you know, just things that they can come out to immediate needs. Right. And then when they get back into their communities, partnering with churches and organizations, you know, because January 6th, you have people from all over, you know, so it's going to take a lot of people to get them back into their communities. And, you know, whether it's their spiritual needs, financial needs, mental needs, whatever that might look like, you know, helping with tattoo removal, helping with dental work, helping with all those things to get them into a corporate career again, you know, and partnering with organizations and companies that'll say, you know what, we will bring you on because a lot of times felons can't get good jobs. Right. And a lot of these guys are coming out as felons and that have never, you know, specifically for my husband, he'll never be able to go into law enforcement again. That's done. His career that he loved so much is over, you know? And so getting him back into, you know, that's why a lot of these felons start businesses, right. you know, because they don't have that support from the corporate world. So just bringing, you know, business owners in and saying, yes, I will hire people. There will be stipulations, of course, and and I do understand that, but just giving them a chance to be able to go back into the corporate world. Because how could you ever take care of your family if you're not in that, you know, at least have a decent job somewhere, you know? Right. And so through reentry, hitting all of those different things. And then the last thing that we do, which is very long-term, but a much 
needed thing is justice reform. Yes. So it is broken from A to Z that they are allowed to indict people and be able to lie. You don't have to have factual evidence for it, you know, in the grand jury. You know, it's broken from that point to the time you get out. And so bringing lawmakers in to say, you know, judges aren't allowed to call people mm-hmm. terrorist or insurrectionist or, mm-hmm. you know, on record, you know, they're, they are biased right now. Mm-hmm. You know, having that oversight come sure. in and say, no, you're not allowed to do that. You know, mm-hmm. having these lawyers, because it's just a money racket, you know what I I mean, there's got to be things put in place to go back to the innocent until proven guilty, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, it really, we started with prison reform yeah. because that is so broken in itself. You know, Shane's from Texas and yeah. um, my husband worked in, in correction. So we know that the system is, is set up for failure, you know, yeah. and how they're treated, you know, people do bad things, sure. you know, sometimes. Um, and uh, There should be consequences for that. They absolutely should, but they are humans at the end yeah. of the day. Well, and not only that, but if you actually want a functioning society that can yes. thrive and that can, you know, grow and improve and function, yes. then you, you, you're only incentivizing them to to do harm yes. instead of giving them the tools and the support to be able to reform and have prevention. All they have time to do in there is think, right? Yeah. So why wouldn't you put programs in place and allowing them to contribute back to society mm-hmm. like it used to, where they picked up trash or whatever mm-hmm. yeah. it was, you know, that they could be involved in. You know, Shane's from Texas, and when he was in the, the state prison system there, it it's 112 degrees, and they had people die on their watch because they had no AC. You know, and he's like, I wouldn't treat my dog this way. Why are we treating American citizens that way? You know, at one point, um, the January 6th defendants that are held in D.C. wrote a letter to be transferred to Gitmo because there were being treated better there than they are in our own nation's capital. And so there's just so many different facets of this. And so we need the general public to come behind us with support, mm-hmm. with monetary donations, skill sets, whatever it might be to come in and say, you know, you know, I, I like when I am speaking at um, an engagement, I like to ask the crowd who has been infected, uh, who has been affected by the justice system. And so many people have, you know, whether it's them, a loved one of theirs, it's just, you know, whether it's a petty crime or not, they've been affected by it. And so this started as January 6th, but it is, you know, a problem as whole, a whole nation yeah. that we need to get behind and say, listen, we need to fix this. Yeah. And so we need the lawmakers to come behind us and write law that to make sure that this doesn't happen. But we need the general public to become aware because I was very ignorant prior to it affecting my personal life. I knew yeah. it was bad, but I didn't yeah. know how bad it was. You know, I've had... Um, just recently, I had somebody come up to me, and um, her father committed his first crime when he was 60 out of self-defense, but he took a plea deal for 12 years, and at 72 years old, he got out, and within six months, he committed another crime and is now serving life. And she looked at me and said, Sarah, if there were programs like yours that were in place for reentry, mm-hmm. I would have my dad. You know, and so this affects so many people right. that we are just letting down and we are failing as American citizens because of how broken the system is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I My heart just goes out to the wives and the children. Yeah. It's because, as you said, it's so many people are impacted. It's not just them, of right. course, you know. I feel for them, but yeah. some, sometimes there there is there should be consequences, and sometimes yeah, people make mistakes, and they should have to pay the consequences of their actions. Yeah. But if there can't be any redemption, there can't be any means for them 
re-entering society yeah. and becoming contributing mem- members of society, there's no hope for them. And the kids and the, ch- and the wives are left with, and most of them are dependent on their husbands yes. and fathers yeah. to provide and to be support and to be a part of the family. So, right. you know, what happens to them? Right. It affects so many. It's 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 like a when you throw a pebble into a pond, right? Ripples. The rippling effect. There's so many. It's not just that person that's affected. Okay. It's their fam, their immediate family. It's their friends. It's their loved ones. It's just so many facets of this, and you don't see it immediately, but you see it long term. You know, yeah. and so there's a lot of work ahead for us, but we have found that the general public, it's very much a need that people care about, you know? And so we're starting small, starting with the January 6th defendants, but Mm -hmm. thinking long-term and and just helping, you know, the American people. Yeah. So the two questions I have right now that come up for me is, uh, what have you seen in terms of, like, hope and, uh, you know, impact? I know this is pretty new, but what what have you seen that looks like it's really making a difference and impact? And then uh, the next question is... uh, do you think it just seems like they're constantly trying to incite some sort of violence yeah. and uh, they want people to play the extreme violent reactionaries right. so they can set up some sort of a false flag? Right. What do you, do you have any thoughts on what that might be or how that's going to play out? Yeah. So in, in regards to the hope question, mm-hmm. I do think there is power in numbers. Yeah. And so we have to come together. We can't, you know, continue to do this internal bickering between all of us because, right. you know, there are things that we we have to agree to disagree on some things, but there are um, foundational things that we can agree on. So I think we have to put our differences aside and come together for the greater good of the cause and say, you know what, we're going to lobby Congress. We're going to go to our our local representatives, you know, because I think something that I've noticed is my husband was law enforcement for seven years at four different agencies. Not one agency since this has happened has reached out. Not one agency will speak to me even if I call them. And so you had an officer that won awards for what he was doing and saved people literally saved people's lives. Yeah. And now, because it's too political, you're not standing behind your own. It's sickening. So we need the people to stand up and say, we're going to vote you out of office. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it might be to say, you're not standing behind your own constituents. Here here in Tennessee, it took a year and a half for our own congressional member to speak to me in D.C. Wow. And it actually took somebody from Trump's administration to step in and say, you need to speak to your people. I've, I haven't heard from one senator, you know, haven't heard from local authorities. It's just, you know, you say January 6th and people run for the hills, and it shouldn't be that way. No. It should not. I don't, I don't care if it's political or not. What has happened here is wrong on all fronts. And we need people to stand up and say, no, enough is enough. There's there's power in numbers. And if we all have one voice mm-hmm. and go and say, you know, because that's what people forget about January 6th is the American people went to air their grievances. Yes. That's what January 6th was about, was about the election to air their grievances where they should be heard. They should be heard in their own land. Yeah. They, these representatives. That's what our country was founded upon. <laughs> exactly. These representatives. The First have, Amendment. The, yes. A huge part. I, I started to cut you off. Not I do want to address this, but a lot of people think the First Amendment is freedom of speech. 
they, they often don't recognize that it's supposed to be freedom of religion. Yes. And it is the right to peaceably assemble and redress yes. grievances, right. which is what January 6th was about. Exactly. And these representatives have forgot that they represent us. They work for us. They want to tell us everything that we want to hear on the campaign trail. But when they get into office, it all goes out the window. It's all about their pocketbook or, or what affects them, you know? Right. And so it's, it's sickening in that aspect. And they need to be reminded that they that they work for us, that we are their own constituents that are being affected by the federal government or the broken system at play. So I do, it is still very new. And I am a very, I say I'm a very optimistic person. Mm-hmm. I, I try not to say I'm super naive, but I, I might be <laughs> a little bit. Um, but, you know. Sometimes you do great things. <laughs> Um, I think that uh, there is a lot of hope in this. I think it comes down to uh, our faith and that we know that we that that this we're living for something greater than us. Because I say all the time, these guys have been locked away for two and a half years, not able to see their loved ones, only being able to talk by phone. How can they get up every single day and be so hopeful? And it's only by the grace of God that these men are strong as ox. You know, that they they do, they have had the ones that have broken, but when they are together, they are strong. And they, that is an example for us out here to say, listen, there's only 35, I think it's even less now, guys that are in DC, but they are strong as one. Mm -hmm. And we need to come out here and and lock arms and say, you know what, it might not affect me yet, but if it's going to happen to somebody like a January 6th defendant, it's going to happen to us. And so we have to say enough is enough. And then I do think um, that things are setups and people Mm -hmm. walk right into the traps of it. But I wish, you know, I've talked to a lot of Metro police officers um, that were there on January 6th, and a lot of them don't agree with what's going on, Mm -hmm. but they are fearful. And we can't live in fear. No. We absolutely cannot live in fear, and we cannot allow what might happen Right. Might happen to change that. We need people to come out and be whistleblowers. We need people to stand up and say, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens to me. It's about the American people. You know, there have been a few, but there needs to be more that have come forward. Um, You know, because if it, it doesn't, a lot of people, it doesn't matter what happens to them. Mm -hmm. They care about their family and their friends. And so they are very, want to be protective in that aspect. But there has to be the people out there. You know, I think of our founding fathers and in the the variance of ages, whether they were very young, you know, and only had a wife or young children, or they were older and had, you know, a generational family. They said, it doesn't matter what happens. Give me liberty or give me death is what they said. And they stuck by that. Mm-hmm. And how have we steered so far, 250 years ago, how have we steered so far from that yeah. in our documents? You know, they they... It didn't matter what happened. They were going against a tyrannical government. And that's exactly where we are right now. History is repeating itself. And we need the people, whether they're police officers, firefighters, public servants, representatives, it doesn't matter. They need to say, you're not doing this to my people. And then courage is contagious. You're going to have the people that say, you know what? I'm so thankful you did that. I'm going to do that for my people now. But you don't. You just have, you know, we are a silent majority. We don't Mm -hmm. need to be silent anymore. Yeah, because they're doing it to us. You know, I I say all the time, if you would have told me on January 5th that this would have happened, I would have believed you because I knew our government was nefarious. But, you know, I thought there had been enough good people in the government to say, you wouldn't let us to do it to your people. You're not doing it to our people. And we wouldn't be in this situation. But here we are two and a half years later because we do allow it to happen. Yeah. You you had said a lot of people— 
this perpetuates because they're fearful, um, and they're fearful because it's they don't want to touch January sixth because it's political. Yes, and I I think you know kind of what you're addressing, which I think is really profound and so important for people to understand, is that. You know, the politics are designed to divide us. You bring yes. up our founding fathers, and right, Washington warned us against the political parties that it would be, you know, a loophole for foreign entanglements. And they've used that to create this divide and conquer and to, you know, pervade fear yeah. in everyone. And really, the big fear should be that our free will is being stripped. Yes. And we, if we can't unite to keep us free, then... You know, well, what's the purpose of having government at all? Exactly. I mean, I think it needs to go back to church and state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our founding fathers never meant for us to have a big government, and this is what it's gotten us. You know, that they are in every aspect of our lives, whether it's, you know, there's so many issues at hand. It's not even, you know, just January 6th. It's the whole COVID lockdown and, and what happened to medical freedom. And it's this this the human trafficking that's going on within our own country. Why is our border still open? It's January 6th. There's so many different things that the American people choose one and get behind it. Because if we don't stand up for ourselves, our children and generations to come, this is not going to be a free America. No. And I think if, if we don't stand for freedom here, there's no hope anywhere. No. I, I think, you know, that was really interesting with the election, how many, I, I know I had, like, just started speaking out, you know, on social media and whatnot at that time. So many people from across the world kept reaching out to me to ask me my thoughts on Trump. And and I thought it was really kind of surprising. Like, I don't, you know, this may be ignorant of me, but I don't pay that much attention to what's right. going on, like the elections in, in other countries. Yeah, yeah, I really yeah. don't. And, you know, sometimes uh, when it, it comes up in its big headlines, yeah. but I really don't pay the kind of attention that they were paying to what was going right. on with our election. And I think it's really because they see us as the bastion of hope for free will of, of humanity. And they feel like if it falls here, then there's no hope for them. And so I, I think that's what people need to supersede their fear, uh, really to stand for that. Yeah. You know, and it, it's not about just standing for ourselves. It's mm-hmm. about standing for future generations. Right. And I think that's why, you know, you, you think of where we came from. I mean, even, I'm, I'm not even that. I'm 27. But I, growing up. Looks mm-hmm. so different than the way the kids are growing up now. You know, sure. neighbors don't even speak to each other. You know, the churches are getting smaller and smaller. And it's like, what happened to community? Yeah. Communities used to take care of themselves. You it know, did. when there was homeless, when there were issues, the churches and the communities came together to take care of their own. That's not the way it is anymore. And it goes back to the big government coming in and saying, no, we'll take care of you right. now. But it's it's the snake in the grass situation. Yeah. So before all of this happened, were you very politically minded? Were you... What were your beliefs? Yeah, so I had always followed politics. Okay. I, I go back and, 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 you know, I always had an open mind about things. I mean, I went down the 9-11 rabbit hole and the Sandy Hook hole and all of those things because I'm the type of person that I don't believe everything I see right in front of me. Mm-hmm. I need that other side. And I, and I love to talk to people on the other side because I want to know, why do you think that mm-hmm. way? Yeah. Why can we look at a picture and see two different things? You know, to me, that is so interesting. And I thought something was off in the Obama era. Um, and, and so really then I started to get involved in politics. And that was something that my family always spoke about. I mean, we always had every night, we had family dinner together where, where no electronics, no nothing. It just was us talking. And so, um, and my grandparents were always there, you know, wow. and so 
just hearing um, different perspectives of stuff. But there was something back then that wasn't right. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I think 2020 just exposed, you know, from 2016 on, it really exposed. Mm -hmm. But then 2020 was really like, what is going on in our country? And so um, I always believed that, you know, in America, we were given a a choice to vote and we should honor that choice. Sure. Um, And whether we we don't always necessarily agree. I'm a policy person, not a people person, Um, you know, and 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 I'm a Christian and I believe what I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that, you know, in other countries, they're told what to do. They don't have the choice to vote or, or air their grievances. Maybe we don't now either, but you know, make our voices <laughs> heard. Yeah, we do, right? But to make our voices heard, and I think, like you said, um, the world sits back and watch what happens in America because it is the hope. What happens to America is going to happen to the world. And so they are very involved in our politics, very involved with what is going on. Um, you know, you go overseas for vacation and all they're talking about is what's going on in America. Yep. And you're like, how about you talk about your own country? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And so um, I just think that it's time for America to take a stand and for us to take our country back. You know, we can't wait on one person to save us. It's going to be we the people that save us. Yeah. But we the people have to be the people. We can't continue to sit back and just talk because that's what happens in Congress, right? Mm-hmm. I've met with over 25 congressional members. Wow. And all they do is tell me exactly what I want to, or all they say is exactly what I want to hear. Right. There's no follow-up. There's no nothing. They don't do anything because I believe they're bought off. I believe if you go to, to D.C., you sell your soul in some aspects, you know? And we can't have that. We have Washington, D.C. in place for you to represent us mm-hmm. that aren't there, you know, that can't make their voices heard there. And we have gotten to that point, and it's sad, but we, the people, have to stand up and say enough is enough. Yeah, amen. <laughs> yeah, really, I, I couldn't agree more. And people do need to get outside of the political traps and the the fear uh, what are your thoughts on I, everybody's talking about how they were saying there's going to be the like lockdowns coming in September or the fall? Yeah. Um, and they're going to try rolling that out again. If people aren't awake now, I don't know what it's going to take. Honestly, <laughs> when you don't realize that this happens every election season, mm-hmm. if you're going to be a sheep and wear a mask after, follow the evidence, follow, follow the science okay. is what they said forever. Yes, please follow the science uh-huh. where they say masks don't work. The vaccines aren't working. You know, right. it's causing more harm than good. We need to think for ourselves. Yeah. We have to turn off the news. Mm-hmm. We have to pick up a book. We have to talk to our community. We have to take things back into our own hands and think for ourselves rather than people telling us what to think. Yeah. It, it, you know, we can't go. We're, we're just going backwards as a society. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I really hope people don't fall for it this time. Yeah. Uh, although I still see people wearing masks now. Yes. Even when there's no mandates, no requirements. Yes. And yes. They're still living in this state of like complete paralyzing fear. Yeah. Which is really astounding. So I hope not, but it does seem like, yeah, you're right. It's every four years we see some sort of shenanigans that are pulled. Yeah. And uh, yeah, people need to wake up. They do. Sure. They do. And they need to say no. They yes. Know. Yes. You know, that's what we don't have control of a lot of things, but there are things that we do have control over, and that's right. ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can say no, we're not doing it, you know, and... That's what it has to be is power and numbers. Yeah. You know, the lone, the lone wolf out there. There's so many people that think like us. Yeah. We just need them to start stepping up. Yeah, absolutely. 
So it's been almost two and a half years now. You get a 15-minute phone call with your husband each day. <laughs> what, what is that like? What is it talking to him? Like, how, did, how is he feeling about everything? Does he have any kind of hope? But I know you just said that it's been pushed off three times, yeah. and now it's being pushed off again for a long time. It's not yeah. like they said in a few weeks from now. Right. Right. Yeah. How does how do you both deal with that? Um, one day at a time, honestly, yeah. because new challenges arise. You know, mm-hmm. and there was a, a situation not too long ago where he was just had the wind knocked out of his sails. You know, and I was like, just go to bed, pray about it, go to bed, stay to yourself. And then the next day, he called me. He was like, you know what? I'm going to win this. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, I, I might have lost the battle here, but this war is far from over. Yeah. And in the end, we're going to win. I don't know what the future looks like, you know, because that's one yeah. thing. If I were to ask him, and I haven't, all of our cars will record it, and I don't want <laughs> him to say anything that'll hurt him, you know, right, anything right. like that. But I know if I were to ask him, if you knew what the repercussions of your actions would have been that day, yeah. would you have gone, would you have done it? And I know without a shadow of a doubt, he would say yes, because he knows he did nothing wrong that day. He yeah. stepped in and helped an officer that was down and he tried to save a woman's Ultimately, life. they're not his judge, right? Exactly. And he knows that, you know, he, he would have. And we don't even know what the future looks like. They offered him a plea deal of 10 years. When they arraigned him, they said 68 years. We don't know what this looks like. But he is standing up for his future generations. He's standing up for the American people, you know, and saying, I am going to stand for you. And that's what we have to do. They stood for us. You all stood for us on January 6th. We now have to stand for them. And I think that is the thing about what's going on is it has awoken so many people that we have political prisoners in our own nation's capital, in our own backyard, you know, and that they're being held without bond, held without trial. And this is so unprecedented. This has never happened. And they're solely doing it to make examples out of them because of their political beliefs. The government is saying, you don't agree with us, we'll literally murder you. Four people died that day. You know, and it's just, this isn't going away anytime soon because we're not going to allow them to sweep it under the rug. Mm -hmm. And as strong as we are out here, I get my strength from these guys. I get my strength from seeing the persecution that's happening to Trump and all of these people, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, all these people that are being politically persecuted. If they can continue to do what they do and we don't have this against us, we need to do what we need to do. Yeah, absolutely. So we have about 15 months, is that right, before the next yes. one, right? Yeah. And they're filing all these indictments against Trump, and, and we have a lot of candidates in the race now. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on what will happen with Trump and what will happen with the elections? I mean, we're still contesting the last one. Uh, if they don't change, we need to go to one-day voting. Yes. We need to go to paper ballots. Yes. We need to go to voter ID. If all these, if France and India, if all these other places can do it, why can't why America do it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And if we don't change the system, why do we ever think things are going to change in 2024? It's just, it's not going to happen. I believe for a long time our elections were stolen and these people that are in positions were selected, not elected. But I think it came to a head and it was exposed in 2020. Mm -hmm. I truly believe they never thought they were going to lose in 2016. Yeah. They just, we were ahead of the game and they didn't know what they were up against. And so I, they didn't, I mean, Hillary Clinton never thought she was going to lose. Right. You know, the, the, the deep state never thought they were going to lose. And so yeah. then they were four years behind. And so that's why all these COVID came about. And now this new variant, you know, all these things. Um, I do think that we um, as Americans have a right to vote. 
And mm-hmm. we need to go out and exercise our rights because there are people that don't have that. But it's not a matter of just going to the poll and voting because they stole the election. Right. You know, it's a matter of going out there and not allowing them. You know, if you're going to be a poll watcher, if that's what you're going to contribute and you're going to be a poll watcher, you better take shifts and you better stay there until the last person leaves. Yeah. Because that's what happened in 2020. They sent these poll watchers home, put up, locked the doors and cl- covered the windows so they could literally steal the election right in front of us. And we allowed that to happen. Happen. We did. We allowed that to happen. We cannot allow. If they, if I always say, if they want to play by the rules, we'll play by the rules. Mm-hmm. They're not playing by the rules. We're not playing by the rules. Why do they not play by the rules? But we do. Ballot harvesting. Let's play it in our favor. Mm-hmm. Let's go out to these nursing homes. Let's go out to these places and gather these people's ballots and turn it in for them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's. I, I heard recently there's 14 million people in. Um, California that don't vote because their pastors say, oh, well, we aren't living for this life. We're living for the next life. And don't get involved in this. Don't get involved in the politics and all of that. No, that's 14 million votes. 14 million votes. And And I say, if you are not voting, you're voting against us because that's a vote for them. I, I'm so glad to hear you say this because I one of the reasons we were doing College Fest is because we want to get the younger generations yes. really energized and engaged and do it through something that's fun yes. and through the right. culture because uh, I think that has a lot of power. But what I'm really seeing is my generation and your generation is that so many of them are so black-pilled yes. and they're so— uh, apathetic they just want to opt out completely yes and you know i don't think the answer to corruption is to surrender or right. turn a blind eye you right. know if a bear is going to come run after you and trying to eat you pretending it's not there it's is not going not to happen. save you right you know right so i understand the sentiment and i do i agree with you i think it's been corrupt for i always point to carol quickly he was yeah. a you know archivist for the the cfr and he outlines how they were selecting our presidential candidates for over a century, and that was back in the 60s he wrote this. So, you know, I think there's a lot of truth in that, and I agree that it kind of came to a head in 2020. It became much more transparent because they were so shocked by the loss in 2016. And they they just never, you know, their hubris was so grand that they didn't expect that they could possibly fail. And they went so far to preempt, you know, and uh, that's, you know, how they were able to steal. But... I, so I really understand the sentiment, but I think the people do need to get engaged because even if they still steal, there, as you keep saying, and I think it's so true, there's strength in numbers and yeah. there's strength in, and I hate it because I don't want to make things about appearances, yeah. but there is strength in optics. Yes. And if we, if they can prove that we were disengaged, they can just say, oh, no, no, he won fair and square. Right. Because people just opted out. And then right. they just, then, you know, it just progresses. So I... Yeah, that was a very long-winded way of saying I'm so happy to hear you say that because I think people really are just fed up and they just want nothing to do with it. Yeah. I wish more people would take that also not just for the federal elections but get really energized and engaged locally. Yes. Because I think that that's where, not that it isn't rife with corruption there as well. It is, and sometimes from the top down uh, because they infiltrate so successfully. But I think there's a lot more hope there because if we can energize people to be active in their communities, yes. we might build community again. Yes. And then if we were to do that, that could have a ripple out effect. You know, that's a I have somewhere over here, yeah, the fifth generation warfare book. They keep saying that uh 
local action leads to federal impact. And yes. I think there, there's truth in that. The And that's something that the, I don't even want to say left, it's just ideologically they seem yeah. to align with the left. But really the Uniparty understands this. And right. that's why they've been so successful with the long march through the institution. I think um, technology is a really good thing. It's also a very bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but we need to play it to our advantage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where social media, I think a lot of people um, don't necessarily watch the news anymore, especially yeah. my generation. They get yeah. all of their news from Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it might be. But I think that also plays in our advantage. Yeah. Um, you know, because I see so many videos of, of people just being honest and real yeah. and saying, what's going on? Are you guys not realizing what's going on? The Maui fires, COVID, January 6th, like mm-hmm. all these different things. Like, are you guys not waking up yet right and they have so many views you know and they would never be on a news channel no (laughs) so I think a lot of that can play into our advantage where you do go back and talk about the community we have to get um involved locally yes because that's where it starts yeah that's where all of these politicians starts locally and we need to say you're not doing it here Mm -hmm. and you're certainly not doing it all the way up to Washington D.C. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's really, really encouraging to hear. And I hope I hope people really do take heed and, you know, don't let this be one of those where they just I'm seeing it constantly. Speaking of social media, I see it all over my feeds. I'm not voting. I you know, the system is broken, I'm opting out, or I don't believe in the system. Right. And, uh, you know, again, not to say I don't understand the sentiment. I absolutely do. Yeah. I, you know, I, it resonates very deeply yes. for me. Uh, but I still think even if you build parallel systems, you still need to work within the system. You know, yes. when you talked about, like, uh, churches saying, oh, this, this, you know, this realm doesn't matter because we're, you know, we're not of this world and it's right. uh, eternal. While there may be truth in that, but as far as, I'm concerned. I still have to wake up every day and deal exactly. with exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm still here, and I think that if you do have a biblical worldview, then God uses you as an instrument, right? So you don't just sit back and say, "Oh, okay, well, it's already played out for me, and I do nothing." Then what, what's yeah. the purpose of your life? No, God works through His people. Yeah, and we and we can't continue to sit back because their decision affects others. Mm-hmm. It's not just about them, right? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for all the time you've given us today. And if you have anything else you want to impart us with, please do. And of course, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you can go to standinthegap.foundation and see all the different projects that we're doing. Um, Follow along with us, donate to us. You know, that's how we're able to do what we do. Just recently, I left the corporate world, took a major leap of faith to say, you know what, I'm doing this full time. You know, if if nobody's going to be a voice for them, I will be, Mm -hmm. you know. And so that comes through money and through skill sets and whatever people can offer, you know. Um, And just just keeping us, you know, because we're fighting for everybody. Yes. You know, we're not just fighting for our own. And this isn't going away anytime soon. No time soon. Yeah. You know, and so we have to make sure that these men fall on the right side of history, but we also have to make sure this entire thing will never happen again. And so um, all of our information is on there. You can hear us speak at different types of events on different podcasts and all that. And I really appreciate you giving us a platform to speak on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm so, so incredibly grateful for everything you guys are doing. And I have just tremendous compassion for you, Ben. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for watching.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.